right. Hello. Well, this is Jennifer and Julie. <laughs> and welcome to Genuinely Lit. Um, this is, well, technically not the first podcast. Um, we, I got really kind of the idea of this podcast um, came about when Julie and I did Jaws back in July to celebrate the 45th anniversary of the film. And so, uh, now remind me again of how the story is of why we decided on The Shining. Uh, we finished Jaws, and you said something. You were going to go on your trip to see your friend in Colorado. Oh, yeah. And you said you were going to spend the night at the hotel. Oh, we should read The Shining. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I have to tell you guys that are the people that are listening, I am literally at the Stanley Hotel right now. Staring outside of my 417 room and the floor that is considered one of the most active floors in the hotel. But I know, and thank you to Julie who actually chipped in half of the cost to the hotel. So I appreciate that. Um, so I could stay here. Um, but so yes, I am literally staring outside of my window, um, at the big mountains in Estes park and it is gorgeous. Um, and I, you know, so the, 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 the book itself, um, actually, you know, there's a lot of people that believe that the film was filmed here and it actually was not, um, the mini series was, um, and we'll get into that, but, the film was not filmed here, but the novel is actually based on the Stanley Hotel. Um, the fictional hotel in the novel is based on the Stanley Hotel. And as the story goes, um, back in 1977, um, King had just finished, or he had, he had published Carrie and Salem's Lot. And he was just kind of looking for a different, um, you know, place to set his next novel. And he literally just kind of opened up an atlas and was like, let's go here. <laughs> and it was Boulder, Colorado, um, which is about, uh, it's about 45 minutes from, from where we're at um, here in Estes Park. And so he, they basically went to the Stanley Hotel, him and his wife um, came here and they checked into room 217. Um, they were literally, I know they were literally the only two guests in the hotel that night. I know. And this hotel is actually pretty big. I mean, there's, there's still a few people here and, um, you know, so I like the idea of there only being two people here is super creepy. Not going to lie. That is creepy. And so I actually went and took pictures of 217, took some selfies. <laughs> so, cool. so y'all going to get to check that out on my blog. Um, and social media eventually. Okay, now. Is there a two three seven here? Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I'll go. I can go check that out. But um, I don't think there is. I think that's why they made it two three seven in the movie. But I was just wondering for sure. That could be. Yes, they did make it two three seven in the film. Um, and a, a difference that will you know not really a, a big huge difference. It's that big of a deal. Um, but that we will address potentially. So basically he checks into this hotel and he had already had an idea of a novel in his head. 
Um, but when he got to this hotel and he, he was just kind of inspired um, by some of the things. And basically, you know, he ended up writing his novel um, very quickly once he sort of established and, and got the hotel and he was just super inspired. Um, and so there we have The Shining. So basically the idea of this podcast and sort of my goal is if you don't know, I am a literature teacher and just a pop culture literature fanatic who enjoys analyzing literature <laughs> and films and all the pop culture things. So um, I really just thought this would be a fun way to um, kind of just analyze, you know, a source material against its other pop culture counterparts. And that's kind of what we're doing. That's kind of what we did with Jaws. And that's kind of what we're doing with The Shining. Um, so um, with that said, we're going to start with the source material um, because that's where we begin um, those show. And so the source material um, is the novel um, published in 1977. And I actually took the hotel tour last night. <laughs> I know. And basically it was a night tour and our, basically our tour guide, um, Rachel, she was so cool. Um, and she is like into this and like, we went into all these different rooms and turned the lights out and did, did these little experiments with dumb, dumb suckers. <laughs> and, like, um, went into this one room where, um, I guess Mrs. Stanley, uh, you know, Mr. Stanley's wife basically would take children in there. And, and so, you know, there, there are children's spirits in there who dance around. And um, apparently the fourth floor is really active with children because that's um, the floor that when the rich families would come and stay at the Stanley hotel, the children would all stay on the fourth floor. And um, most most paranormal people or people who sort of believe in, in those spirits. And I'm not necessarily saying I don't believe or do believe. I don't know. I didn't necessarily see anything or feel anything. I mean, I might've felt like a little coldness. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, for those people that kind of really dive into that stuff, they say that people who die and spirits are left behind go back to the place that they were the most happy. And so that is why that the fourth floor is filled with children, they say, because this was the happiest place in their lives. So isn't that a fun story? I love that. Um, this hotel is super cool. I will tell you that I had kind of a time <laughs> with the stuff that happened with the hotel, but I'm going to tell you what though. I mean, they took care of me. Um, so they, they, they legit took care of me. Um, and I'm totes appreciative of that as I am literally sitting again in this room recording and it's so cool. <laughs> but okay. So now that we're going to kind of start with the source material, um, you know, basically what we're going to do is kind of focus on the biggest differences between the book and the film film. Well, and I say film because if you don't know, there is actually a mini series. Um, funny story last night when I was waiting for the, for the tour to begin, the mini series was actually playing on a TV in the little waiting area. No, it was 
Yes, it was. And so I kind of was like, I was like, I kind of want to just stay here and watch this. <laughs> because like, you know, we hadn't watched the, the miniseries yet. So um, I know. So, and I actually did see some pieces of it and I'll actually address that in some of these things. But um, so, but one of the biggest differences that we've got to talk about is the characterization of the characters. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, that's probably one of the biggest complaints that um, Stephen King has had for Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining. Um, he did not like Jack Nicholson's performance. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what do you think of that, Julie? What do you think of his assessment of that? I don't know, because I did. I thought he was perfect, but, you know, I didn't write the book, so I don't in my mind know what he was thinking he should have been, you know? Right. But I, I like Jack Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think, I mean... Stephen King's biggest complaint was that his performance was kind of one note, meaning that, you know, like he kind of plays, he, he kind of played the same character in Easy Rider and like all these different films. And so it was just like a one note, like, oh, it's the same character kind of thing. And so that was his complaint. Um, but I don't know if that was necessarily Jack Nicholson's problem or it was the script's problem. Um, because the script, and I agree with King on this, that it does not dive into the characters at all. No, but you know, and this book is long, and I just, for film purposes, they probably, without having a four or five hour movie, <laughs> probably, you know, could. I guess that's my thinking. I don't know. But. Well, and I, I mean, I, I do agree. I mean, I think that, you know, when it comes to film, like you have, I mean, obviously there are things that, that you have to be mindful of and, and there are, you know, things that you can't, you know, show visually on a film. Yeah. And so totally get, but I guess what really struck me as odd is like, I agree with King that there was no growth for the character. I mean, it was like, literally it was, the only reason that he ends up it's like, there was no reason for him to go insane really um, in the movie. And it's almost like in the book, you have this whole other backstory of like why he is the way that he is. And, and that is the thing that I think King does so well with his novels is that he takes these very, you know, normal things in life and makes them super creepy because I mean, you have this family, this nucleus of a family who is dealing with issues, the same that you would see in any family. And it's actually an issue that King himself de dealt with um, alcoholism. And that was one of the reasons that, that kind of spurred his, his wanting to do the novel is because he, he said that he kind of came to this moment where he, you know, he kind of, related to Jack in a way of like that there's moments where your kid just like won't shut up or won't stop doing something. And, and you have that brief moment, like, I just want to hurt this kid, you know? And yeah. so like, and it was kind of like his way of being real about that as a parent um, through his work, which is kind of interesting. But I think um, the thing that is so interesting, that's what creeps me out the most about this book. What creeped me the most out was the realness and the connection with the characters 
Um, and, and just the, the depth of pain that these characters were in and how they dealt with it. Um, I just, it was almost like it just felt really different in the movie because you didn't really get the, the weight and the depth of why. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's not to say, I mean, you know, like, and I, and like King has said before, he said he's, I think he's like literally referred to the film as like a, a Cadillac with no engine. <laughs> and, and that's literally what it is. Like it's visually stunning. Um, you know, Stanley Kubrick is very good at those long shots. Um, and, 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 and sort of making you feel like that so much is happening in those shots and you get that in the film. Um, but at the sacrifice of, I think, more depth of the character. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the other big complaints that King had um, was about Wendy. Um, he, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he said that he called her performance or he said that Kubrick's vision of her was misogynistic. And I guess I don't really, you know, know exactly what he's trying to say with that. Because if you read the book, I mean, Wendy is kind of an empath. I mean, she's like, you know, she's, she's like a, she's kind of this empathetic woman who dotes on her husband and does what he's like. That's the, ver that's what I got. Yeah, she does. I mean, she doesn't, I mean, she is a little bit stronger, I think, in the novel than she is in the book. I mean, I'm sorry, in the film. Um, and I, the picture of her is totally opposite. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, bless, bless her heart. Shelly Duvall, love her. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just, you, you get a very visual, you know, picture of Wendy and it's just not the same. <laughs> and, um, I don't know if that's what he, what, what King is referring to when he's talking about misogyny, you know, that I don't know. Um, but I guess like maybe, maybe he's considering it misogynistic because she is just like an empty shell of a woman who dotes on her husband, but I'm sorry. I got that impression in the book. <laughs> Yeah. Do you feel like, do you feel like that that changes a story for you at all? Like, does it change it that much? The visual visualization of it? No.
Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, we, we you know, we kind of move into, you know, some of the other characters, obviously Danny, you know, um, Danny is the character that um, has what Halloran um, calls the shine. Um, and basically the shine is just kind of basically predicting the future, essentially. <laughs> um, seeing things and premonitions and all of those things. So um, Danny has this gift and or a curse because he also can hear and see and what his parents are thinking. Um, so it kind of becomes this very, you know, fine line for him because when they go to the hotel, you know, he, he knows that the hotel is evil, but he also wants his parents happy and he wants his parents to stay happy. And when they first get there, his parents are seemingly happy. And, but the more that Jack starts exploring things in the hotel, the more the hotel begins to consume him. Like literally. <laughs> literally. Um, and so Halloran ends up becoming, I think, um, kind of Danny's pseudo father in a way, even though he's not really, you know, in, in the novel that much. Um, you know, like at the end of the novel, in case I'm sure, you know, <laughs> if you don't know, um, but basically Jack blows up the hotel, um, because essentially the hotel has consumed him and there are these brief moments where he kind of comes in and out of himself versus the hotel sort of consuming him. And he basically ends up, he tells his son that he loves him and he blows up the hotel. So it's like, you know, there's this whole dynamic between Danny and Jack where, you know, Jack obviously loves his son, but he's kind of jealous of him yeah. um, because the hotel wants him instead of Jack. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the book, um, I'm just thinking, you got to check that, that boiler. You got to go check that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he is. He's he's getting jealous of Danny. Of the hotel wants Danny, and and and. But and this is later on. But go ahead. So I'll skip that. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just gonna say. Well, nothing. That's it. I was gonna talk about Danny, but yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. Talk about Danny. Are you ready to move on to Danny? Yeah, we can. Um, I just in the book. Well, don't you think that's, do you think that's because of his gift that maybe because of that, yeah. that gift that it kind of makes him kind of like this old soul? Yes. Yeah. And even as I'm reading, even in the, the part five, the last part that we read, you know, I, I really think that because uh, this boy is five. Mm -hmm. I don't see a five-year-old doing these things, but there again, you know, he has that gift you know, he has Halloran, they're understanding it, you know, and um, he's helping him with it, but he just seems so much older than 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it does say one time in here, he's like two years out of diapers or, or something. Yeah. Know? And uh, thinking, yeah, he's two years out of diapers. Yeah. But he's doing all this, you know. He exactly. He all this. And he has just such a adult, uh, if you will, even though it's child, child-like, but it's almost adult-like understanding of things. Right. It's weird. I mean. Yeah. Well, and I think it, I mean, I think that was specific and I think it's specific to like the character having those, you know, visions. And, um, again, I think it kind of lends itself to that old soul mentality, but, um, okay. Exactly. Yes. And that's what, like, I mean, I just really enjoy, I mean, I just, I really enjoy the way that he writes characters um, from a psychological perspective. Um, And that's why I'm super intrigued to read Carrie. (laughs) Because, like, we know that Mama and and, and her are batshit crazy. So I kind of want to (laughs) see, like, if they're batshit crazy in the film, if they're batshit crazy in the film, what are they like in the book? You know? Yeah, I don't think I can do King back to back though. <laughs> yeah, I can't either. I gotta read a couple of you know. Exactly. Okay, so one of the other big areas that we're gonna talk about. So, basically, what we're gonna gonna get into is the wasp's nest. Um, this is probably I'm gonna be real with y'all. Like, one of my biggest. I hate you, Stanley Kubrick moments. <laughs> like, yeah. I just feel like, not in the movie I mean, this was such a missed opportunity. Like, I just can't even, it, it just literally breaks my heart because I, I mean, a part of me understands the mentality of why Kubrick didn't include it because it's just kind of like what you said, another layer. Um, but I feel like it's just such an important layer because it's layered throughout the book. Um, there is a section, it's the second section of the book. The book is actually broken up into five parts. Um, the second part is called the wasp's nest. And basically it starts with the the whole reason that it's called the wasp's nest, um, is because Jack is like literally, um, trying to kill a wasp's nest at the hotel. Yeah. He's got maintenance issues. Yeah. So he, you know, he's doing these maintenance issues And so as he's climbing up to kill this wasp's nest, there's all these things that kind of go in his mind and all of these things that, that he starts remembering about his past. And, and so like, there's this entire section dedicated to this wasp's nest. In addition to that, there are also several parts, points in the novel that, um, that basically, you know, talk about and deal with, um, wasps and, you know, and you just, there, there's little moments throughout the text and throughout other chapters and in completely other sections of the novel that he brings up the wasps nest again. And so, exactly. And so like, for me, I just, as a literature teacher, I'm just like, how can you not include that? Because that's like such a huge component. Um, I agree, I but, agree, but, you know, like, 
Well, and that's what happens. Well, I didn't see that. I actually didn't see because I didn't watch. I didn't get to watch that much of it. But so like in the novel, what happens is so I kind of I kind of mentioned that he's up on the house and he's kind of, you know, he basically cuts down the wasp's nest and he burns it. Right. Uh And we find out later why, um, because there is a reason why he chooses to handle it in this way. Um, And basically, that's another layer to Jack, because, you know, one of the things and and that's not really discussed or talked about, but, you know, I've I've talked about sort of the psychological constructs of these characters. And if I were to guess, I would say that that Jack is 100 percent a narcissist. Um, He has all of the characteristics. He had the overbearing dad. He had um, basically just a a really shitty home life. Um, And and you know, just some of those things are things that produce narcissist men, narcissistic men. Um, and so, you know, alcoholism is another component of narc- like that, you know, they abuse alcohol and drugs. And, and so like all of these things are, are totally Jack Torrance. Um, and so it is also his father. Narcissism tends to be passed out um, in some sort of way. And so we get, we, we see basically a result of Jack's father um, come out in him. Um, and so we get sort of that at the end of the novel. Um, you know, his, I guess it, you could say that maybe it's his, you know, maybe sort of coming home because I feel like it kind of happens shortly before everything blows to hell um, where he kind of comes to grips with, um like things that have happened with his dad and um, you know, the more that he's kind of swallowed up by the hotel, it, it just all kind of, and, and the other thing too, you know, like, you know, narcissists are very selfish. They do not, you know, think of, you know, a lot of people, I mean, there's levels of narcissism. I shouldn't say that like, it's not just like a cold hearted, you know, like everybody is like this, you know, um, it, it, it's very fluid and, and there's levels like, no, I, I don't know if levels is the right word, but like there's degrees. How about degrees of narcissism? Yes. Yes. He thinks everything is done to him. Yep. And that's typical narcissism. You don't ever take responsibility. Um, you blame other people, all of it. That's all narcissism. And so like that, you know, that, and so then like you have Wendy who, you know, like King calls her, you know, the, the film version of misogynistic version, but, but I'm still, I'm going to argue that in his novel, um, she presents as sort of the polar opposite of the narcissist, which is the empath. Um, and she is the empathetic, um, wife who puts up with his bullshit. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, cause I don't think that he's ever physically abused her, but we do know that, that Jack broke his son's arm um, and sort of a drunken stupor. Um, and so there's all those layers to it that you just don't see in the film. And I mean, I get, I mean, cause it's already kind of a long movie anyway, but that's just it about Kubrick though. I mean, by with Kubrick, it's just kind of like, there's, there's just like what King said, there was just like literally no meat to it. I mean, it's visually stunning and these really long drawn out scenes that give the characters, 
you know, an opportunity to emote. Um, but, you know, to, I don't know. I just think that, I just, I just feel like Kubrick missed a lot of opportunities to do this book justice. Um, which brings me to the miniseries. Um, there is a miniseries that's out that King actually has endorsed and he was actually the executive producer of. Um, and so he has, he's the executive producer of the, the miniseries and he, um, and actually the miniseries was filmed here at the, uh, at the hotel. Um, the, the, this, the nineties miniseries was filmed here at the Stanley. So, um, there's actually some artifacts and things. Uh Oh, I lost Julie, <laughs> but there are some artifacts and things that, um, you know, that are super cool around the hotel. Um, but yep. Yeah. We lost you. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, but anyway, I mean, I just, I'm sorry. Yes. He was the executive producer of the miniseries. Um, he, he gives that one a, a glowing endorsement over the film. But one thing that King has said, he said that he felt like Dr. Sleep, the film redeemed the shining for him. Um, and so I have, I haven't read Dr. Sleep obviously, cause I've said, you know, this is actually my first novel to read. Um, from King. I don't know if I said that, but um, most people are shocked when I say that. <laughs> um, because yes, I love literature and I'm a literature teacher and I've never read King. So, but I'm going to start because I love it. And he is, I mean, I just, I love his storytelling techniques. Um, one of the things that I was going to talk about from a literature perspective, um, you know, as a literature teacher, of course, I want to talk about this. Um, a couple of things. Um, first being that you know, as a teacher, you know, I know that, that, you know, everybody reads at different speeds, right? I mean, everybody has different, different speeds of reading and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, kids get really frustrated, even adults get really frustrated because, you know, you know, maybe, maybe they, maybe they don't have a very high vocabulary. And so reading is really hard or, um, or they don't read fast enough. And so it's frustrating. And so, you know, I, I highly recommend audiobooks, but here's the caveat that I'm going to say with audiobooks because it is an issue that came up with Julie and I as we were reading this. Um, so I fully support audiobooks. I love it. I think when you have a really great narrator, that matters. Um, with this novel, Campbell Scott narrated it, and he was amazing. Um, he did a good job. He, I loved, I loved his Halloran. Like I was literally laughing. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just like, I love the way that he read Halloran. I don't know why. Um, but so the biggest thing that you have to keep in mind, and, and this is like in, with literature in general, um, but particularly with, you know, what I just found with King as we were doing this is that, you know, he has very interesting and, and unique storytelling techniques. Um, and one of those storytelling techniques that he uses is basically, you know, we, you know, we've talked about this hotel has creepy things. Um, we know that, that Danny, or maybe you don't know, um, if I'm assuming that, that people know about the shining <laughs> like that are listening to this, um, 
yeah. So like, that's why I feel like I don't need to really say the plot and all that. Cause I feel like if you're going to listen to it, you already know. Um, but I don't even remember what was I saying? What was I talking about? Well, about the book, like, cause I started actually listening to this on audio. Yes. Okay. I had the book. Yes. But I just started on audio. Yeah. And, uh, so we were kind of talking and I said, you know what? I think I need to go back and read this because I am so confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, I said, I said, well, I mean, I kept asking questions. And then when I saw it, I was like, okay, I get it. Um, because what happens is, is that you get these moments where the character is hearing voices. Um, like Danny, you know, he's got his little friend, Tony. In the movie, he uses his finger. That's like the Tony. <laughs> and then in the miniseries, it's actually a teenager. Um, I, I did see that, by the way. So remember how we talked about that we thought that Tony was a teenager? Yeah. He is. In the, well, in the, in the miniseries, he is. Okay. Um, one of the things that I did, I did see in the miniseries that was not in the film, um, there really wasn't like a whole lot of like supernaturally stuff. I mean, there was in the film, but like most of it was like that blood, the twin stuff, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and so like in the novel, there's other little moments that happen um, like the topiary where the, there's like hedges, I call them Edwards, I call them Edward Scissorhands animals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <coughs> so yeah, Edward Scissorhands animals. And so in this topiary and basically they come to life and chase Danny and Halloran, but it, they also did it to Jack. <laughs> I've never liked hedge animals. I don't like hedge Minnie and Mickey at Disney World. I don't like <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I thought, okay, that probably for me could have been left out. And I like the maze much better in the movie. That's the one thing I really did like in the movie versus the book. I didn't like those hedge animals, and I like the maze. Yeah, you should see. There's a maze actually out in front of the Stanley. I'm actually uh -huh. literally looking at it right now. It's super cool. Uh -huh. um, so I might go take some pictures down there before I leave. And then also, like, back to being confused listening to the audio book, was um, the fact that what he's thinking, the things they're thinking in their head, like Jack, Danny, or whatever. So it took me to places that they were thinking about, but I didn't know they were thinking about it. I was bouncing from here to there yeah. in my mind because I didn't see that it was in italics. Right. And so that's the point. Yes. And so that's the point that I want to make is that if you want to use an audiobook to help you um, improve your reading, that's great. But I highly, highly recommend that you get the book too. And you actually read it while you listen. Um, not only does that help improve your reading skills, but because of what we just talked about, um, there are moments in books that you don't see. Like if you don't literally look at the text, you don't know that, that that's kind of how your mind should be processing that information. Exactly. And so that's why it's super important. Yeah, and then after you read it, you were like, oh, okay. Yeah, and you were like, why are you confused? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I will say, okay, so 
I I actually read the first four parts. I told you guys that it's in five parts. I read the first four parts, but when I was in, you know, I'm still in Colorado. And so when I got here, I just did, I just didn't have time to read it. And so I was like, I'm going to listen to the last part. That was okay. I was able to kind of grasp it. And cause I already knew those literary techniques um, that he had previously been using. And so like when I knew that Halloran was thinking or, you know, something like that in that last part, that I knew that's what it was. And so that's, that's the thing, you know? So like, if you, you know, if you want to listen, great, but I just would recommend if you're a good reader, I would recommend reading the first part first to kind of get the literary techniques down and then listen, because then you can kind of get the rhythm of, of what's going on. Well, part five, I read about half of it, and I did listen to about half of it. I actually I liked it, listening to it. Time. But then you can kind of tell where Campbell Scott would go into parentheses. You know, you, after you, like you say, after you get the techniques down, then you can kind of tell in his voice, and you know what they're thinking and what's real. And, yeah. You know. Okay, so question. So in the movie, so we get these girls. Are they twins? They're twins, right? Uh, no. Because they're, they're, well, they're dressed like twins. They are dressed alike, but they're not twins. Okay, because. Like a year older. Okay. Eight, ten, or something like that. So, okay. So in the novel, basically with the, with the, with the, the girls, like in the book that you see, or I'm sorry, in the movie where you see the two girls. Um, basically that, and I don't even know if it goes into that in the movie, but basically, um, that was that it's the two daughters of a former caretaker who the hotel consumed just like it happens to Jack and he ends up killing his whole family. Um, and so, Oh, one of the things that I was going to bring up that I, you know, I think I mentioned she, I was going to talk about cause I, I was interested to know if, if Shockley, so Al Shockley is the friend that that helped Jack get the job at the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the back of my mind, like, so, so Shockley is kind of like Jack, he was kind of like Jack's old drinking buddy. Um, and was basically kind of like his, his alcoholic buddy. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I kind of had this premonition initially that maybe he deliberately sent Jack to the hotel because he knew that what was going to happen. And, and I think, well, I think I mentioned like, I kind of want to see what happens at the end to see if, if it, if that, you know, comes back into it. Um, but it didn't. So I guess that it, that's not a thing, but it's still something to think about and analyze, you know, yeah. um, because it's possible. I think it's interesting to consider because, I mean, you know, he knew information. One of the things that happens in the book that, you know, we don't see again because it's like a whole backstory is like we see Jack's whole backstory of alcoholism in the book. Um, there are moments where, you know, he gets drunk and comes home and, you know, we, you know, he broke Danny's arm and then he gets into a car accident with Al and, and basically runs over a, a bike. But we don't know if it's a kid. Like, it's crazy. But I think we find out a kid wasn't on the bike, right? It was just a bike? Or no? I don't know. Um, later on in the book, it said... I mean, it, it addresses it again. I think it's like in 43. It's it, but I think that was in his dream. Oh, yeah. That's right. 
Yeah, good point. Good point. Good point. Good point. Um, and so obviously the ending is very different <laughs> um, from the book to the film. That is also a thing that Stephen King was very adamant about, um, you know, and it's, and it's largely because I think back to what he said, and that is that you really don't see the evolution of the characters in the film. Um, basically at the end it's, you know, he goes crazy and you don't really know why other than just the fact that he's in the office. Like, I mean, we know that he goes crazy because of the hotel, like literally the movie, it makes it about the hotel. And that's the one thing that I have been, that I have argued with Julie since the beginning <laughs> about all of this is that I do not believe this book is about a hotel. Um, it is about a family who is going through family issues and the hotel is the catalyst that brings out the issues in these fam in this family. Yeah, I saw that happen. And they are they come to the hotel in a fairly good place. These other things have happened in their past, yes, but they're in a good place. And it is the hotel, yes. So you could say it's about the hotel, but you don't have a story if you don't have the characters in the hotel. Yeah, it's just a building. Exactly. And so I think that's a really big component at the end of the story, because at the end of the story, you know, Jack tells Danny that he loves him and then he sort of sacrifices everything, you know, um, to basically kind of free him. And, but in the book, he just freezes to death. So it's not like there's really any redemption of any kind. I mean, you know, it's just kind of like he's a, he, he gets overcome by the hotel. He turns into this bad guy and he dies. Yeah. And so there's really not, you know, so I understand what King's perception is of that, but I don't agree that Jack Nicholson's performance was bad. No, I don't either. I mean, uh, I don't. I don't think that the performance was because of Jack. I think it was because of the script. Yeah. That's true. So. And in, those, in this last part, you know, when Jack, he's, he's totally going crazy and Halloran's there and, you know, and I'm just, it, it, you know, it goes, this time, this time is passing, this time is passing. And I'm like, you know, someone's got to hit the boiler. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're not checking the boiler. Yeah. And so, like, with, and with the time passing, I mean, the it's interesting. Crazy. You don't even think about the boiler. Yeah. And the interesting thing too, like one of the things that we didn't really talk about, um, you know, the, the hotel has a very, you know, fluid aspect of time. And so like periodically you see different people, um, ghosts and things. And so, the, you know, the characters see that throughout the novel. Um, you get this whole backstory of history about the hotel, um, about like that there used to be um like mobsters and that there were like there was a bunch of murders at the hotel and so like all of yeah. these things are the things that have come out yeah um but i think that what's super super touching and and really annoying at the same time is that halloran is killed in the film yeah but in the film but in the novel he ends up i think kind of becoming danny's pseudo dad um, I, I guess I'll be interested to see if there's a connection in Dr. Sleep to that. I don't know if there, there is, but I, I'm interested to see. Um, I'm interested to see how Dr. Sleep starts. 
the book and how Dr. Sleep starts in the movie. I've seen the beginning of the movie. There are different endings to this book, so there's, wouldn't there be different beginnings to that movie? Well, the beginning, actually, you see Wendy and and uh, Danny running out. It's It's been a while since. I, I can't remember. I watched it, like, yeah, a few months ago. He, he's at the playground or something. I watched, like, the first, I don't know, 20 minutes. And like I told you, we have to watch that together. Because yeah. Because things are already freaking me out. So. <laughs> but should we read the book first? That's right, baby. That's what we did. We just read our source material. Um, and I feel like that's going to kind of cap us. Um, because I feel like we've talked about the, the main things. Um, one of the things that I would just, I mean, I don't like whomever's listening. I mean, if you are a, a college student, um, looking for ways to analyze this particular novel, um, I think, you know, sticking with characterization is a, is a good thing. I think, um, the wasp's nest. Oh, holy hell. Could you have a time with that? <laughs> so, I mean, if you are a college student and looking for things to, and you are in a class that requires literary analysis, um, email me if you have questions. Um, Jennifer at genuinelyculture.com. And, um, other than that, if you think the, war, if you think the wasp are not important, you know, I sent you that edition of the book. Yes. Yep. I mean, if it wasn't important, you wouldn't make an addition with the wasp. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, and I, I guess to me, to and I guess to me, it's like, I mean, that is, you know, one of the fundamental missing components of the film. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening and stay tuned. I'm not sure what book we'll do next. But we shall see y'all soon. Adios. Hey, well, welcome to Genuinely Lit Postscript. Um, I actually just wanted to add this little bit on. Um, Julie doesn't even know. <laughs> I'm adding this on. Well, I actually told her I wanted to add some stuff, but, um, you know, and really I just kind of wanted to reflect on it all. Um, you know, just reflect on the experience. Um, because, you know, doing the shining during this time period in my life and the week that I did it in and, and just all of that was just, you know, the irony was not lost on me. <laughs> Oh, um, cause like if you read my blog, um, and if you read the blog post, the one about, you know, the, the, the dance in the mountains, you know, you saw that, um, you know, that sort of my quest to seek clarity in terms of, of life and career was kind of interrupted, <laughs> um, by just something that I felt like God, you know, sort of laid on my heart to take care of. And, um, and that was, you know, reaching out to that individual that I mentioned in my blog. Um, and it, it just, you know, what was so epically interesting about it was just, you know, kind of being immersed in the shining and, you know, and just sort of, and, and there was like a lot of mirroring, you know, with that particular situation and the book in terms of, you know, like I wanted to help Jack, you know, like I wanted to, I wanted to help Jack and, 
despite the fact that that this man, you know, was so broken and he, you know, was not a good man. <laughs> he was not a good man. Um, you know, he was an alcoholic, despite the fact that he, you know, was a recovering alcoholic. Um, you know, alcoholic just constantly kind of blaming people for everything that happened in his life. And, you know, then you get this backstory about him, you know, and about his dad and about, you know, just how abusive his father was. And you start to just, you know, want to have compassion for people in that situation, despite how horrible it is, um, the things that they're doing. Um, and, and it's a very hard, it's a very fine line because I don't think having compassion for people means that we don't hold them accountable. And I think that, that sometimes we forget that. Um, I think that people should absolutely be held accountable for their behavior. Um, Jack should have been held accountable for his behavior. Um, and I guess just all of it sort of very much reminisced in my mind and in my heart over that situation with this person and just the fact that I genuinely believe that they, you know, definitely had some things that happened in their past. And, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't discount all the things that they've done to people. Um, it doesn't mean they shouldn't be held accountable for those things, but at the same time, I believe there's redemption for people like that. And I believe that redemption comes from Jesus. And it's, it's hard because, um, oftentimes, you know, we, we don't want to think about giving redemption to people like that. Um, we don't want to think about giving anything good to someone that maybe in our minds or in our hearts doesn't deserve it. And, but I think that when we start to, to genuinely look at how people are made up and we start to understand where they come from, because guys, that's what I do as a teacher, <laughs> you know, as a teacher, you know, my goal is to meet kids where they're at. And just like Jesus meets us where we're at, but the thing about Jesus is that he doesn't want us to stay where we're at. And so that's also my goal is, is to kind of encourage kids to, um, to be better versions of themselves. And, and that's why I want to stay in education. Um, you know, that's, it's why I want to stay in education. It's really, I mean, all of this has just been this perfect storm of, of realization for me. Um, and that's what that Colorado trip did for me. Um, it, it just brought me to this point of wanting to love on kids. And I don't know what that looks like just yet. I mean, obviously right now it's staying in education. Um, but it, you know, like I, I see a lot of different paths and avenues that that could mean. Um, and I'm just kind of keeping my heart open to what that means. Um, so if you feel inclined, feel free to pray for me <laughs> on this, on this dance during this dance. Um, because it's scary. Um, but I truly believe that it's the direction that God is leading me in and, um, I'm excited about it. So, but 
I, you know, but it, again, it, it just comes back to, you know, I think about Jack and I think about, you know, just, you know, at the end of the novel, and and this is like one of the the big things that that I think about, you know, of just how Kubrick missed the mark, and and how it just didn't really make sense because, you know, like he has Jack sort of freeze to death instead of you know blow up the hotel, and and one of the most critical parts of of this entire novel is at the end when. Jack literally tells Danny he loves him before he does it. And so in that moment, there's redemption, you know, despite the fact that, that Jack blows up the hotel in himself, um, there's redemption there because in the end he did the right thing. Um, not necessarily killing himself. Cause I don't want to get off that connotation that <laughs> I'm not saying that killing himself was the right thing. Um, but you know, that, that he felt like it was just in this moment of, you know, that this was the best option to, um, let him have a full life, um, you know, just in the, in the, within the context of the literature. Um, you know, I think that was the purpose of that was to give him that redemption because King started with the bad. He started with the relationships with these characters and the backstories and the things that happened to them before they got to the hotel. So the reality is <laughs> that all this stuff was going on with these characters before they even entered the hotel. And so the redemption that we see with Jack at the end is really kind of magnificent, despite the fact that he dies and he succumbs to the hotel. Um, but it's significant because there's that redemption and we see sort of full circle how he starts out as this broken, you know, well, I mean, really not, bro I mean, he doesn't start out broken. Like he actually gets more broken and we sort of learn about his brokenness as we go along. But I mean, you know, when we get that backstory of, you know, his dad and, and, and just the abuse that he suffered at the hands of his dad. And then you sort of see, you know, how that has manifested itself um, in this man as a, as a man and as a father and as a husband and all of those things, those are real things, guys. Like those are not, and, and, and honestly, that's what makes it horrific. <laughs> that's what makes Sting, Stephen King horrific is because he sort of takes all of these really like normal, but abnormal things in life, but then sort of twists them and tweaks them. And it's pretty fantastic. And I can't wait to read the next one, which is Carrie. Now, I don't know if I'm going to read Carrie right after this, um, but we are going to do Carrie. Um, but, and, and the biggest reason I want to is because I'm, you know, like since I'm now on this sort of whole, like getting back into my psych mode of things and I'm just super intrigued with the way that Stephen King handles psychological archetypes. And I cannot wait <laughs> to see how he handles Carrie and his mother. Carrie, I'm sorry, and her mother. Um, Carrie and her mother. So that should be super intriguing. Anyway, well, I'm signing off for now. But thank you guys so much if you listened. Um, and I hope you enjoyed. Um, and read the blog too. So until next time, take care.